0: Welcome to Coffee with Jesus. This is your host, Sarah Vandriel, and this is my first solo podcast without my friend and confidant, Todd. But I'm excited to be here with you today and to share my story. My aim when I came in to joining Todd in the Coffee with Jesus ministries was to really be fully me, Um, To share me, my thoughts, my ideas, my faith, and hopefully grow alongside you um, as we continue this ministry of Coffee with Jesus. Because just like all of you, and like Todd and I say, we're still trying our best um, in this world as imperfect uh, children of God. So like any Christian human. I've had evolutions to my faith. And today, I really wanted to share one of the most transformative of those evolutions to date. So, real quick, before I jump in, I'm going to give you a little bit of my background. I was born and raised in South Carolina with a really strong Christian family, strong Christian faith, and a strong Christian upbringing. um, Lots of really strong mentors my grandmother, my dad, my mom, my aunt just to name a few. I graduated from Wofford College in 2002 um, and went on to pursue my PhD in clinical community psychology. Along that path, I decided to get married to the man that I had met um, in 2000. Um, We got married in 2006. We actually met at a, a Christian summer campus counselors together. And I really wanted to have kids. And my husband said, well, you have to finish this PhD um, before we can have kids because otherwise it might not happen. So I hurried up real quickly, finished that PhD, wrapped it up in 2011, in May of 2011. And then by the end of 2011, we were pregnant with our first kiddo. And we're blessed um, with a absolutely beautiful daughter, Evie, in 2012. So in coming to this, I identify um, in many roles, a child of God, a mom, a wife, a psychologist, a daughter, a granddaughter, now a podcaster, a writer, a friend, and so many more. Sometimes I think we can get stuck in the compartmentalizing of these roles, putting ourselves in boxes to only be one of these roles at a time, and in reality, we're all of them at once. Our maker created us to be all of them at once, and not just one at a time. So jump back in to pregnancy. As I was pregnant with Evie, um, we discovered that I had a uterine fibroid. I'd always wanted three kids. My husband, Marina, is very happy with just one. But given this uh, finding during pregnancy, I knew my time was a little bit limited if we were going to want to have more kids. So I sat in the church pews and would pray for God's will. Well, by 2016, we had not had another kiddo yet. We weren't really actively, actively trying. But my symptoms from this fibroid were getting worse. So I decided to go ahead and schedule surgery to take care of this fibroid. Well, two weeks before that surgery, I had a complete meltdown (laughs) over the kitchen counter with my husband late at night after Precious Evie was fast asleep. And he just looked at me and said, you are not ready for this. So I promptly called the next morning and canceled that surgery. I went on for another nine months, praying in the pews um, for God's will. We tried really hard in that nine months um, to have a second kiddo. But by the couple months into 2017, my symptoms had gotten really bad. And... I knew the chances of us having another kiddo, now having giving it a full, full shot, um, weren't that great. So I went back in to my doctor for a consult, and surgery was my only option. He said that he would try to remove the fibroid and leave my uterus, but it was only about a 50-50 chance, but this time I decided I had to do the surgery. So I'm going to take a pause from the story and come back to a song that my husband actually shared with me the very first summer um, that we met. And so this was back in 2000. um, And it's a Bebo Norman song called The Hammer Holds. I'm going to come back to this a couple times in the podcast. But at this point, I want to introduce the first few verses. So here goes, words from Bebo. A shapeless piece of steel, that's all I claim to be. This hammer pounds to give me form, this flame, it melts my dreams. I glow with fire and fury as I'm twisted like a vine. My final shape, my final form, I'm sure I'm bound to find. So dream a little, dream for me, in hopes that I'll remain. And cry a little, cry for me. So I can bear the flames and hurt a little hurt for me. My future is untold, but my dreams are not the issue here for thee. The hammer holds. This song struck me so much as a really young, still college student at the time, figuring out, you know, what will be my place in this world And these lyrics ring so true going into the surgery, right? I wanted another kid and I was starting to realize that that wasn't my plan and really praying for God's will, knowing that God holds that hammer. And at the same time, um, having fought that, um, for several years coming up. All right. So back in here come the flames in the quite literal sense of it. I went for pre-op lab work or the day before surgery as is routine. I was trying to wrap up my work because I was going to take several weeks off um, after the surgery to recovery. It was a big surgery, not a minor one, coming up. So around four o'clock, my phone rings and it was the doctor's office. They asked me, they said, how are you feeling? I'm like, I'm okay. Um... I said, I'm a little anxious, I'm going in for surgery tomorrow, but I'm okay. And they're like, no, really, how are you feeling? And I was like, I'm, I'm really okay. And they're like, well, we have news that's going to shake your world a little bit. And your lab work came back, and your hemoglobin is below five. That's in a really dangerous territory. Normal hemoglobin is supposed to be around 11.6 to 15 for women and mine was below five, the point at which they worry about heart failure um, and potential death. So at this point they said, I have to go straight to the ER um, so that I can be admitted to the hospital. Well, I wasn't planning on going to the ER that night. I had planned to welcome my parents who were coming to help take care of my kiddo (laughs) and be off to the hospital the next morning. But my parents arrived, my mom took my beautiful little girl and my uh, stepdad came to the ER with me. They looked at me. They were former lab techs. Um, and they're like, you do not look like your hemoglobin's that low. There's no way. Must be a mistake that happened. So we get to the ER. I sit in the ER. I do one more work call while I'm sitting in the ER, by the way, to finish things up before I needed to to be gone for a little while. Um, got back in. They redid my lab work um, when I first got there. It unfortunately turns out that the first lab results were not incorrect. (laughs) My hemoglobin was below 5. And I became the site of the ER, like all the ER techs were peeking in, and the nurses were peeking in my room saying, no way, you're not the one with the hemoglobin before 5. When you have a hemoglobin before 5, you're not supposed to be able to walk. I'd driven myself to the ER, folks. So, prompt admission, uh, actually in the ER before I even got admitted to the hospital, they started, they told me I would have to have a blood transfusion. So, I got the first unit of blood in rapid fashion in the, in the ER, um, which is just a mind bender. It is a mind bender. have somebody else's blood be uh, pumped into your body for your life's sake. So I'm sitting here processing this a little bit. Um, If you know anything about blood transfusions, they can um, do the first one rapidly, but then all the rest have to come um, in slow succession. Otherwise, your body um, can reject the blood and it turns out um, in really bad ways. So I get put into the hospital, they transfuse another unit of blood overnight um, and then they're retaking my hemoglobin several times. Well, as somewhat expected with a hemoglobin that low, um, it didn't rise fast enough for surgery to happen that next day. So mind you, I've prepared myself for a really long time for the surgery for this day and now it can't happen. So once again, it's not my way here. So I'm in the hospital for two additional nights as I continue to get blood. It took four units to pull my blood, uh, my hemoglobin level, up to a point at which they could operate. Um, And during this time, of course, we hadn't planned for me to be away from Evie this long. So my parents did bring Evie to the hospital. And I did get to to see her and hug her and kiss her and have fun. And then it was time for her to go. And she's a very, very regulated kid, a kid that doesn't get upset very often. And she was just bawling when she had to leave my room. So my heart crushed a little bit more the night before the actual surgery took place, having to hear my kiddo go down the hall and not be able to go with her. But knowing that I had to get rid of this thing that was literally taking my life. So the next morning, surgery. Comes on, Um, my pastor and close friend, husband, and parents are all standing around my pre op bed as they enter the the anti anxiety meds, which is all, uh, you know, what they do for anybody going in for this major surgery. We had a really good laugh about that. We had a really good, you know, prayer together. And then I am wheeled off to go start surgery. Being the Christian I am, I'm like, I have to say my prayer before I go into the surgery. And as I've talked about several times on the podcast already, sometimes in the depths of it, um, and in those moments, my prayers are really quite simple. My prayer before going into surgery was really quite simple. It was, dear God, let me continue to be Evie's mom. I'm not done yet. And then they asked me to picture a relaxing scene um, as they enter in the anesthesia And I picture my beautiful girl on the white sand beaches in Pensacola as we'd just been there a few months back. And then off to surgery, I go. I wake up in recovery, glad to be alive um, at this point, cold, really cold, and I can't talk. Um, I can't say a word yet. I can't get anything out. And as I am sitting here trying to vocalize that I'm cold, uh, but not being able to get anything out, um, I hear one of the nurses say that it ended up being a full hysterectomy. And I know at that point, cold and unable to talk, but happy to be alive, that I won't be having any more children. There's a couple more days in the hospital. I learned uh, that my fibroid was the size of a cantaloupe. Um, and I've been walking around really the size of a woman who's about four to five months pregnant for many more months than it takes to be pregnant. So I get a piece in the hospital though. I get, I get a piece, um, that I know that it was God's will for me, uh, to have only one kiddo. As we get home, um, I have so much support that I'm so thankful for. We're having dinner the second night that I'm home, and all of a sudden there's this really warm sensation at the site of my incision. A blood vessel burst at the site of the incision. I lay him back at the hospital that night. I'm going to spare you all the gory details, but just sum up that this ended up leading to another month, an added month. To the recovery process and a pretty huge scar. So during this next month um, of recovery, um, I had to have somebody at home helping me take care of this incision. My hubs is a bit blood squeamish, particularly on <laughs> people other than himself like me and Evie. So my mom has to be the one to do it without hesitation, she steps up and says, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. Um, as we're at the doctor's office. And then they tried to get me, by the way, home health services to come help with this. And I was too young at the time to qualify for that, even though um it's what the doctors would have actually preferred. So this call from my mom just to step up to do this was trinormous. But I guess that's part of what moms do. As she went to help take care of this incision, each and every time during the day when she would have to do this, she would pray that God would be her hands, that God would actually intervene, be her hands, and help take care of this. What a moment for my mom and I. Really a connection moment, really a connection through God present in the room, and also a good amount of laughs that we had as we were going through this together. Fast forward through this hard, slower than I wanted recovery. Um, I was very careful not to include Evie in a lot of this, um, you know, caretaking bit because it's a little scary. But it had gotten to a point where I felt like she could finally see where the incision had been. And so I let her see this thing that had happened that she's been kind of in and out of. She's about five at this time. Her first reaction when she sees this scar is, it's a smile. From my perspective, it looked like a frown. But from hers, it was a smile. So anybody that's ever recovered from major surgery will know. And I'd been told previously, prior to even going in, prior to all the added complications, (laughs) that it would take at least six months to get back to feeling totally normal after major surgery. I didn't want to believe that. I was a strong, fit woman, was ready just to jump back in. Well, it took a long time. And I had to do some major reflections and kind of tampering of my expectations. But two of my mom friends from, uh, from a mom's group at church signed up to run the turkey trot, um, the 5K race, for Thanksgiving of 2017. And I decided I was signing up too. It's time to rebuild strength. So out came couch to 5K, and I trained uh, for this turkey trot 5K. And as I did, and as I was reading um, scripture, I came across this verse. And it's Isaiah 40:30 30-31. You've probably heard it before. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Friends, prior to surgery and during the recovery of the surgery, there were times I could not walk. There was time pre-surgery that I did an easy, a hike classified as easy, that I was panting for breath at the end. So the morning of this 5K, as I was driving myself um, over to the start and reflecting on all I had been through, I just got a little teary. I was getting ready to run and it was God who gave me. The ability to run again. I ran that 5k. I finished. Evie and Marina met me on the other line with a cold brew pumpkin spice latte, my favorite, (laughs) in a really cool reusable mermaid mug. I completed that task. In the years following this surgery, coming back into being able to run, um, I threw myself into spiritual growth. I learned so much. I knew that God only meant for me to be the mom of one, of Evie, who is so beyond enough, and to know that she's actually only on loan to me. She really belongs to God as well. My faith became so strong I was piecing together so much understanding and finding peace and feeling strong. There was a particular moment that I wanted to share, which was a traditional communion um, at our church. And the typical liturgy was read, the remembrance of Christ who gave his blood for us. But it hit me like a ton of bricks that each time we take communion, it's a chance for renewal in Jesus. And that At the point that I received a blood transfusion, that I was at a point I couldn't survive without another person's blood, that it was Jesus who provided the blood to renew not only my body, but my soul. That transfusion was also a transformation. Back to Bebo. Next verses. And the water, it cools me gray and the hurts subdue somehow. I have my shape, this sharpened point. What is my purpose now? And the question still remains, what am I to be? Perhaps some perfect piece of art displayed for all to see. So dream a little, dream for me, in hopes that I'll remain. And cry a little, cry for me, so I can bear the flames. And hurt a little, hurt for me, My future is untold, but my dreams are not the issue here. For thee, the hammer holds. So as I was going through this really fantastic faith-growing time with a small group at church, finding all this understanding and this peace and trying to put things together and figure it all out, and figure out who I'm supposed to be, who am I supposed to be? And come back to Bebo. And a few other Christian artists, knowing that God's not done with me yet. I don't know all the answers. I don't have to have it figured out just yet. One of my fellow group members wrote us all notes um, at the conclusion of this two-year um, small group process, and this is what he said. Sarah, thank you for the past two years, your ability and desire to humbly open your heart has delivered a powerful message indeed. I pray that you get things sorted out, but don't be too hard on yourself. You're great, just the way God made you. Insights, the verse, Luke, chapter 14, verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. has been many years ago, my friends, and I still have this card as a reminder to me both to stay humble and to know I don't have to have it figured out and that God loves me just the way I am. So fast forward a little bit further, we get COVID and the world turning its head upside down um, and all of these other things. So my faith has not faltered in this time. My faith in my God and my creator in my maker and myself. But it's been a hard go in trying to figure out what's going to happen in this world. What role I'm meant to play and how this happens. So back to Bebo to finish the song. The hammer pounds again. But flames I do not feel. This force that drives me helplessly through flesh and wood reveals a burn that burns much deeper. It's more than I can stand. The reason for my life was to take the life of a guiltless man. So dream a little, dream for me, in hopes that I'll remain. And cry a little, cry for me, so I can bear the pain. And hurt a little. Hurt for me, my future is so bold. My dreams are not the issue here, for thee the hammer holds. This task before me may seem unclear, but it, my maker, holds. As I wrap up sharing some of my most intimate times of growth, I also just want to say that I record this on the night where 14 Texas elementary school students and one teacher lost their lives in the school shooting. May God hold tight those families that are suffering the unbearable. I cannot even imagine what it would be like to lose a precious kid. And may we work together as communities and as a society to be the change that prevents these atrocities in the future. May we care for all of our neighbors as Jesus cared for the least of these.